Hi, this is Queer Margins Series 1, Old Queens. And I'm Rhys T. Matthews. Queer Margins talks to those in the LGBTQ community who are rarely heard from. And this series, I'll be talking to older queer people to hear their experiences on growing up gay, the first time they met another queer person, living as queer in previous generations, and what it's like to be older in our community today. And this is episode two. Janet. I was out with my sister one day and she said, oh, I've been to an unusual party. It turned out to be swinging parties. I said to her at that point, oh, <laughs> do women ever go with other women there? And she said, oh yes, anything goes. And I thought, that's it. That's how I get to explore this. And it was a revelation. Of course, the downside is that there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I had to, it was expected that I would have sex with men, but I did get to have liaisons mm-hmm. with women. And yeah, it was wonderful, it was lovely, it was everything I thought it would be. Colin from episode one put me in touch with Janet, and the way she went about exploring her sexuality when she was younger is quite unique. As you just heard, she started going to swinging parties to be able to have sex with women. Then she realised that was the life for her, and then she became an active part in the gay and lesbian movement of the time. She joined several feminist groups, as well as working for Gay Switchboard, and later the Terence Higgins Trust, which actually meant her separating from a couple of her feminist friends uh, because they didn't agree with her career move. She also recalls her mother telling her again and again that all she needs to find is a nice Jewish man to marry and that she wouldn't be what her mother calls an Elizabethan anymore. Her stories are fascinating and really funny and she's also published her memoirs in a book called A Rebel Without a Clue by Janet Green. She gave me a copy of the book which I immediately asked her to sign and reading it and talking to her has confirmed what I suspected. She's had a wild life. She's got a great sense of humour and I think she really enjoyed sharing her stories with me. If I end up living half as hectic and a fun-filled life as Janet, I'll be very pleased with myself. So, here she is. I don't think we even had a word for lesbians, apart from, you know, she's that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so I was probably about 10 actually when I became aware of a woman who worked in the park who wore suits and very polished shoes and very short hair. Um, and it was kind of just accepted that she was one of them. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but apart from that, I didn't, it, was, it wasn't until I was a teenager that I really became aware of mm-hmm. um, the kind of wider sense of gay people, lesbian and gay people. Um, and then, and then, dot, 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 when I was about 18, 17, um, at that time I had a boyfriend. Um, one of my regular jaunts was going dancing with my friend. Mm-hmm. And part of the ritual going dancing was to stand in ladies' loo for hours, doing our hair, doing our makeup, chatting. And it was then when, that as I was sort of raising, this sounds ridiculous, but anyway, I was raising my arm to do my hair. And my arm brushed her breast. Mm. <laughs> and it was it was like a instant instant. Oh my god, what was that feeling? And that's when I started thinking, you know what, I'd like to do more about this. Wow. It was yeah. like Yeah, like a like an electric sort it, of thing. It, that's exactly what it was like. Yeah. It was like an electric shock. 
and it was lovely. <laughs> Unfortunately, my friend was straighter than straight, mm. um, so there was no room for manoeuvre there. Um, but you know, I started to sort of think, and there was nowhere at that time, or well, I didn't know of anywhere, I should say, where you could meet other young women. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think I was a lesbian. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> because the only lesbian I knew was the one in the park. Right. Yeah, and I wasn't like her. So there would, there'd be no time between then and now that you had seen or knew of any lesbians that existed? As in, from the point where you saw this lady in the park and you brushing your arm like accidentally against a woman's breast, like, yeah. you, there was no other... No, 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 oh. no indication at all. But yeah, it, it was a really important moment. And then, I didn't know how to meet women. I wanted to, but I really, really didn't know how to. I even thought about joining the forces because I thought, oh, those girls together, you know, must mm. be going on. Yeah. Um, but I didn't like uniform. <laughs> so... <laughs> okay, that's a good reason. So, what happened next? Next thing that happened was when my mum went to see a film that was on around the time called The Killing of Sister George, right. which was about lesbians. And she came home and said to us, I was from a big family, she said to us, you should all go and see this film. It's all about those Elizabethans. <laughs> <laughs> right, Emma. Um, so we you know, did go and see it. And there was a scene in there at a nightclub. Right. And that turned out to be The Gateways, which was like the only lesbian club at the time. And it was quite famous, but I'd never heard of it. Okay. In fact, it took me a couple of years before I found out that it was real. I just thought it was like a product of the director's imagination. Mm -hmm. um, so, but anyway, it gave me the idea that there might be places to go, and in fact that there were lesbians out there. Why did your mother... So how old were you at this point? At that point, I was supposed to have been about 18. And where did, were you living in London? Yeah, I was yeah. living in Tottenham. Okay, yeah, so yeah. why did your mother... Like, firstly, why did your mother go and see a film about lesbians? And then yeah. why did she instruct her children to go also to go and see a film about lesbians? <laughs> well, <laughs> good question. <laughs> she was, um, she liked going to the pictures. Uh, and basically went to see more or less anything that was, that was on at that time. Mm -hmm. um, she was also quite naive, as you can tell from the Elizabethan comedy. Oh yeah, of course. Um, but she was keen for us to have seen the world. And oh, okay, so she was quite open-minded. She was quite open-minded, yeah. yeah, she was, she was. Um, yeah, she she was quite liberal in a lot of ways. So what happened next is that um, I carried on going out with men. Um, and then I was out with my sister one day, um, driving along, and she said, oh, I've been to an unusual party. And I said, oh, tell me more. Um, anyway, it turned out, long story short, uh, to be swinging parties. You know, I always thought they should throw their keys into the room. That didn't happen, by the way. No keys in the middle of the room. Okay. What was, <laughs> what, how did it take place? How, what was... <laughs> okay. Well, I said to her at that point, Oh, <laughs> do women ever go with other women there? And she said, Oh, yes, anything goes. And I thought, that's it. That's how I get to explore this. Mm -hmm. um, so I started going to the parties, and sure enough, anything did go. Um, 
and it was a revelation. Uh, of course, the downside is that there's no such thing as a free lunch. Um, and I had to, it was expected that I would have sex with men. But I did get to have liaisons mm -hmm. with women. And yeah, it was wonderful. It was lovely. It was everything I thought it would be. Um, and then I had a boyfriend from the game, from the parties, um, who I told him I think I might be bisexual. He said, "I've got another girlfriend who's bisexual. Would you like to meet her?" And I said, oh, "I'd like to meet her." So we did. We got together. Um, her name was Carol. And it wasn't long before Carol and I became a couple, and Jack was out of the picture. Say. Well, for me anyway, Carol went on seeing him, but that's uh -huh. another story. Um, so with that, I kind of embarked on my lesbian career, uh, and found out that the Gateway is a club that I mentioned earlier, was actually a real place. Right off the King's Road and it was wonderful I mean <laughs> just finding that culture because mm -hmm. it had been so hidden uh, we had no role models um, the guys had role models not always positive mm -hmm. but the people like um, Larry Grayson for instance or um, what was his name the drag artist Danny LaRue mm -hmm. um, so they had some role models out there and in spite of the law being so restrictive for men, um, I think they were more more active. On, there was more of a scene yeah. um, than there was for women. And what's interesting as well is that at that time, and actually for quite some time after, um, lesbians and gay men weren't friends. There was no crossover. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, not only were there, um, you know, knights, no knights or women um, at that time, but there were no knights or women anywhere apart from the gateways. Um, and none of the lesbians I got to know had friends who were gay men. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> I think we just had such different interests. And then, of course, as time went on and we got into the 80s and feminism, the boys had their back rooms and we had meetings in those. <laughs> so, and I read that you, when you joined the Terence Higgins Trust, I read that you lost a couple of friends, didn't you? Yeah, I did, I did. Um, it was when I, going back a step, I'd been through this really turbulent relationship with Carol. Right. Um, and at the time I was living out in Hertfordshire, so it was quite isolating really. And I think I found a branch of Che, you know Che, um, mm -hmm. the campaign for homosexual equality. Okay. Long time ago. Mm -hmm. And kind of in desperation, I went along to one or two of their meetings. Well, there were no other women there, right. only men. But they were incredibly kind to me, really, really sweet. Um, that was really my first connection with gay men. Right. Then I got into feminism, then I came to London um, and I mean, by that time I'd, I'd taken a, a degree as a mature student and uh, had a social work qualification 
and I started working in London because that's where the jobs were. Then in 1985, of course, the HIV and AIDS crisis was huge, mm -hmm. huge, and lots of misinformation, lots of um, panic, the panic around. But again, women weren't involved. It was, it was very much, it's happening over there, it's happening to them. Mm -hmm. But I kind of remembered how kind those gay men had been to me, and I wanted to put, and it's a cliche, I wanted to put something back. Mm -hmm. And that's why I applied for the job at Terence Higgins Trust. At the same time, I was a volunteer on London Lesbian Line, which I think is now defunct, it's disappeared. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a lot of separatist lesbians involved in that. <sighs> I was never a separatist, I was never a separatist, but some, one woman in particular said to me, why would you want to do that job? Um, working with men, who cares if they die? Oh. Which was so horrible. Yeah. Um, so she had to go. You know, I just couldn't be friends with yeah, someone yeah, totally. who had that attitude. Uh, so yeah, that's what happened there. Yeah, that's mad to have that kind of like thought process, isn't it? But I suppose if you do feel like you've been pushed out of something or like as if because a lot of like concerns are that sort of like gay women aren't listened to or they're not part of yeah you know, like a kibber like community sort of yeah. thing yeah well of course at that time there was this odd phenomena where straight women would become lesbians uh because it was kind of politically correct they were and they were called political lesbians i know what yeah I've never heard <laughs> you can't come across this this was about, all about politics and they felt that because they were feminists they really shouldn't be having relationships with men. Therefore, right. Yeah, they would have relationships with women. In Rebel uh, Without a Clue, you mention um, like life as a model, a stripper, a glamour model. Oh yeah, yeah. And like time at sex parties. It it seems like you were you had quite a fun time. <laughs> Is that I fair to say? <laughs> A lot of it was a lot of fun. And was it, was the majority of it positive? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 it was, it was. I mean, one of the things I did in the 70s, mm -hmm. yeah, in the 70s, yeah, I was a glamour model, I was a stripper, um, I dropped out, I was a hippie, I did a lot of drugs, um, and yeah, it was fun, people yeah, do that. drugs because it's fun. Um, <laughs> And I was living in a house that was almost a commune, not quite, but almost a commune. And that, that was fun as well. Um, the downside was that living in Hertfordshire was that there weren't many bloody lesbians there. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, there were times when I was quite lonely um, and, and kind of yearned for female relationships. Mm -hmm. that, that wasn't so, so good. So um, why were you living in Hertfordshire? I was living in Hertfordshire. I was brought up in London. Yeah. But I moved to Hertfordshire because that's where Carol lived. Right. And when we got together, we, we moved in together. Oh, how quickly? About a year. Oh, okay. Yeah. But she, she'd been married and she had children. Oh, wow. So she wanted to be near her children. Um, so that's how I came, came to be in Hertfordshire. And then I, just, I went 
I did a, a, a nursing course. I trained to be a nurse. Um, and just stayed there, you know, mm. like people do when they finish uni or something. Yeah. Um, so I, I just stayed in Hertfordshire. And it wasn't until I finished my degree uh, and social work qualification that I, I thought about moving back to London because that's where the jobs were. Mm. Interesting jobs anyway. Um, so, yeah, I did have fun times. I mean, I, I wasn't the kind of lesbian who... I was, I was lucky, but I wasn't the kind of lesbian who went through a lot of guilt and and concern and angst. Um, that wasn't me. Okay, cool. I was always really happy mm -hmm. to be a lesbian, and I told people, mostly. <laughs> um, and, and that's how it was. All the way through this journey, mm. um, what a better word. Um, but I've I've always been lucky. I haven't experienced homophobia. I won't say not at all. Mm. I have experienced a bit of homophobia, but not much. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I've always managed to kind of charm a way out of it. Really. What was it like telling your like parents or your family that you were gay? Was it quite straightforward, or they seemed like they're quite open? No. Oh, okay. No. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, mum, they didn't approve and they didn't understand it. Um, apart from my sister that I now live with, mm -hmm. who was always very supportive. Um, but my mum said at one point, why are you doing this? Can't you find a nice Jewish boy? <laughs> and I had to say, mum, that's not what I want. You yeah. know, that really isn't what I want. This is making me happy. Um, but we only really started to talk about it. I mean, my parents are long dead. Mm. Um, but we only started to talk about it with brothers and sisters and their wives and so on. Um, when the book was published, oh, oddly wow. enough. And since then, it's all been very open. And they, you know, they've all talked to me about my sexuality, uh, lifestyle and so on and so on. It helps that my niece, one of my nieces, mm -hmm. is also a lesbian. Oh, cool. Um, and of course she's much younger than me and uh, the apple of my eye. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that helps as well within the family. Yeah, Bless okay. her heart. That's, yeah, that would be amazing to have like a, a gay person in your family who's like, you know, gone through it a bit before. Whatever. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. My other sister for a very long time, just thought it was a phase I was going through. Wow. It's lasted is... 50 years. Yeah, it's quite a long phase, isn't it? Maybe you'll come out of it one day. Yeah. Who knows? Fingers crossed. <laughs> um, and what was it like? So you, the club that you'd seen in uh, the film, what was yeah. that called again? Uh, Killing a Sister George. And what was the club? Or the... the Gateways. The Gateways. So what was it like going there for the first time? Who did you go with? I went with Carol. Right. Um... It was, oh God, it was so exciting. Because mm -hmm. uh, she'd been before, so she, she knew a bit about it. And <laughs> it was off King's Road, and you had to go into this tiny courtyard that was filled with beer bottles and crates and stuff. And there was a door with a, a visor on it. Oh my God, it's yeah. like a proper old... Yeah. Knock on the door. <laughs> 
It's ridiculous now. Okay, so enough of the, the, the visors slam back. <laughs> and someone says, yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we explained, we, we wanted to come into the club, but we weren't members. And she said, you'll have to talk to Gina. Right. So we went down these really steep stairs into a basement. Tiny room, about twice the size of this room. Uh, there was a desk at the bottom of the stairs and there was Gina, who was like an icon. We didn't know that then, but she was an right. icon. Right? right, on the scene. Yeah. Right. And there she, she was sitting at her desk with a, a long cigarette holder, <laughs> jet black hair, hatchet face. <laughs> <laughs> and um, she said, you can come in tonight as guests, as my guests, but if you come again, you're going to have to become members yourself. Oh, okay. And then I got a chance to look around the room and this place, and it's about eight o'clock in the evening, but the place was just heaving with women. Um, some of them were dressed, completely dressed like men, oh. in suit, tie, waistcoat, um, cufflinks, I mean the whole nine yards. <laughs> um, and then there, there were their partners who, some of them were femme, because mm. this was very much a, you know, you had to be butcher or femme. Um, so the femmes were dressed in skirts and high heels and makeup and all the rest of it. However, <laughs> some of the women seemed to be, have partners who were also very short haired and jeans and shirt. But one of them would always have slightly longer hair. So that was a femme. Oh, you had to know the code. Right, yeah, of course. I and on that first evening, um, I was a femme. <laughs> <laughs> and Carol was wearing jeans, a flowery shirt, a matching tie, which was all the fashion then. Mm -hmm. But she had long hair. Ooh. Long hair, and she was wearing a bit of mascara and lipstick. And one of the butchers turned around with a, a look of disdain and said she needs to make up whether she's butcher or femme. Like, yeah, you had to. You had, you had to fit into one of those two you categories. You had to comply. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it was a really strict dress code. <laughs> but, having said all that, oh, the music was um, from a jukebox in the corner. Mm. Uh, there was a bar at one end. Um, the music was playing the sounds of the 60s. This was 1969 that I first went there. Um, and it was magic. I it bet. was fabulous. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the whole place was the size, of, like twice the size of this room. Yeah, which isn't big. No, not at all. Yeah, yeah no, it was tiny. And so there was like, there was sweat dripping down the walls practically um but no one cared I and mean, you know you <laughs> getting up to dance you had about 18 square feet I mean, not feet inches yeah. uh to dance in <laughs> <laughs> so you were being bumped on all sides but that was lovely too yeah <laughs> and with everybody in couples no, right, okay. no, no. Mostly in couples, but there were some groups of friends there. Right. Yeah. 
And we made friends with a group of women who had been in the army. Ooh. And their story was interesting because they'd all been dishonourably discharged because their, their sexuality had been found out. And found out by like really underhand means. Really? Like yeah. what? Like what? Like, like a, um, what's it called? Like a mole being planted. Um, where they overheard conversations, would report back to the powers that be. Or notes being placed in their locker saying, I love you, I love you, I love you. And then they would respond and then that was the proof. Um, so it was really underhand. And all, all these women, yeah, they've been dis dishonorably discharged. Through like entrapment? Yeah. Oh. Yeah, that's exactly what it was. And of course, then they had to find jobs in City Street, which they all did, bless them. Uh, but they only did jobs that involved wearing a uniform. Right, okay. And that would lend itself to dressing in yeah. a sort of butch way. Yeah, right. yeah, that's right, that's mm -hmm. right. So bus conductors and, you know, that mm. sort of thing. So, but yeah, terrible story, terrible circumstances um, to be... Yeah, thrown out and then just to Thrown, find yeah, 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 that's right. And then we've discovered another club. Oh, cool. Carol and I, really through this group of friends. Because the problem with the gateways was that it closed at 11, mm -hmm. it kept pub hours. And of course, you were so high at that point, you didn't want to go home. Mm -hmm. And we discovered another club just behind the Windmill Theatre, you know, in Soho. Yeah. That was open until one o'clock. Woo! Hot <laughs> <laughs> <Like> young. <laughs> yeah. So we all used to go there after the gateways. And it was mixed. The club was mixed. Right. Um, had a, a drag compare. And yeah, it was lovely. It was good fun. It, oh, was, cool. it was kind of the perfect end of the evening, really. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so yeah, we had fun. That's, yeah, that's amazing. And then did you, did you carry on going out when you and Carol like, went your separate ways? Like, did you, did you go out as a single person afterwards, or was it, would it mainly be in a, in a couple? No, I started going as a single person mm -hmm. when we broke up. Right. Um, I did go as a single person. Um, and how was that? How did that differ? Did you feel, like, welcome? Or not welcome, but did you feel, like, comfortable going in? Like, did you know people there already? Like, people from I before? I did know people there. Yeah, I did. But... It really wasn't a problem going on my own because as a femme mm -hmm. and looking femme, I I was surrounded. Right. I could have had my pick. Um, and sometimes I did. Mm -hmm. um, but quite often I didn't. I mean, I just went for the music and the, the company and the, the, the feeling of freedom yeah. of being in that environment, mm -hmm. which was was wonderful um but yeah sometimes i got picked up and had a one night stand or whatever or two night stand <laughs> <laughs> um did you always feel safe in those clubs and by that i mean from like the outside like when you traveled there going there being there like were you ever worried about it being raided or people waiting outside right that that's a good question too um Okay, I always felt very safe once I was in the club mm -hmm. or the venue. 
it wasn't always that way actually getting there or coming out mm. particularly. Um, the, we wouldn't have dreamt of holding hands on the street, for instance. Um, there was always that, that fear that something would happen on the way there or back, mm. especially back because there were people been drinking. Um, and there was one evening when we were on the King's Road and we stopped, Carol had a motorbike, so I was sitting on the motorbike while she went off and did something. And I was suddenly surrounded by young men. Um, and actually, in retrospect, I don't think they were being threatening, but they were saying, no, you're a lesbian, you're a lesbian. Um, and at that point, Carol came back and said, oh, leave her alone, mm. stop it. And they did. But it did feel threatening. Yeah. I, I didn't like it, being on my own. You know, well, surrounded by men, and yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. so intimidating. It was intimidating, yeah. Um, so, yeah, it didn't always feel safe. Mm -hmm. And... I was very aware of that. And that actually carried on and going forward again to the 80s when the, uh, what was it called, London Lesbian and Gay Centre opened. Mm -hmm. And I remember going there for the first time. Going through those doors felt like going through the portal to Narnia. Hmm. <laughs> it was like, ooh, blimey, what are we doing here? Because it's all very spacious and airy. But... Going up the steps to going through those doors, I was worried. Right. I was worried that someone would see me going in and be waiting for me to come out. So yeah. it did feel threatening. Mm -hmm. And also, because, you know, I, I mean, obviously I'm little, you know, I, I'm less than, less than five foot. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and at that time I was much much slimmer, so there was less of me to... To fight back. So you feel like you'd be a, like an actual target then, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah I did. I, did. I felt vulnerable, yeah. is the answer. Um, but, you know, I was lucky. Nothing ever happened. Mm -hmm. So, and I think, I think I was lucky. Because I, th I do know that you know people there have been incidents, yeah, yeah, where people got beaten up and so on. Mm -hmm. So, I'm just a lucky girl. <laughs> So you worked at the Terence Higgins Trust. You went on the first Pride March? Well, I don't think it was quite the first Pride March. It was probably the second or third. Right. So, so there were only about 500 people on the march. Mm -hmm. And I was, as far as I could see, I was the only woman. Whoa. <laughs> I know. And I remember it absolutely poured with rain and I was wearing a cagoule and I felt safe it was a great atmosphere mm -hmm. um, I was with my brothers and sisters is how it felt yeah so it, it was really really good fun I got soaked through um, and then I just kept on going every year until we had uh, lesbian strength right which was when in the 80s. Okay. Yeah, lesbian strength out in the 80s. Again, uh, as a kind of a progression for the lesbian feminist, they decided we should really have our own march. I used to go on both, by the way. Okay, fine, yeah. <laughs> I do not want to miss out on anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to ask whether it was on the same day, but it was. No, 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 different days, okay. different days, yeah. Um, and they were fun as well, they were, they, you know, it was all. 
a good atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I enjoyed them both. I even, because I was a volunteer on Lesbian Land then, I even made a, a what they called a... Thing, the big banner or something. The banner, yeah. that's it. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, so, so you went to both for a while, and then when did you stop going to... Pro- like, what, like, when did you stop going to both of them or either of them? Oh, um, oh, that's good. I don't know. I think I stopped going to Lesbian Strength actually, because I was sort of increasingly pissed off with the the politics, the, the extreme politics. Mm-hmm. Um, it must have been, I can't remember when Lesbian Strength stopped, but I know when I started working at Terence Higgins Trust, it was shortly after that that I organised a bus. <laughs> oh, cool. for Terence Higgins Trust to go on Lesbian and Gay well I think it was just all Gay Pride then um, so yeah I organised the bus because it wouldn't walk all that way <laughs> <laughs> so um, but yeah of course we, we all, lots of people got on the bus and it, that was really good fun I think that's when I decided to stop going to the Lesbian Strength because I was having so much fun mm-hmm. And we we took condoms, and we're throwing them off the top of the open top bus oh, cool. into the crowd. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yeah, I was very mouthy in those days. Like, <laughs> shouting things like something for the weekend, sir. <laughs> throwing these condoms off the top of the bus. <laughs> <laughs> it was good fun. And we had other people who weren't involved in the trust come on the bus, like drag queens, who mm-hmm. were always very funny as well. Um, and they, you know, you'd sit on top of the bus with with your friends, with the volunteers from the trust, and whatever workers we had then. Great day. So, would you go to Pride today? Oh. I haven't been for years. Mm-hmm. Partly because I don't want to. I, mean, I can't walk all that way now. I've got arthritic knees. Mm-hmm. Um, but also. Oof. It doesn't have a good reputation anymore in the community. Mm. Um, it's a shame, such a shame. Um, because it was such good fun to go on. Um, yeah, it was, and it was a great day out. You know, you'd go to the park after, after the march, mm-hmm. go to the park and wander around the stores and have a picnic. And it was just lovely to be with your friends and do yeah. that. Would you say you're an activist? I would. I would say I'm an armchair activist <laughs> <laughs> these days. I have been out there. I have done it. I have been on the protest. I have Section 28. Yeah, about Section 28, mm-hmm. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, um, I, I was there. I was, I was on those protest marches. I shouted, I blew my whistle. You know, I, I, was, I was part of it all. Mm-hmm. Um, same with Gay Pride lesbian strength, rock against racism. Um, I was there, I did it all when I was younger. Mm-hmm. These days I feel physically unable mm-hmm. to, to go on those protests. I mean, even Trump, I swore I'd go on the Trump one, but I ended up not going. Mm-hmm. Um, because I can't be doing with the standing or the walking or whatever. Yeah. 
<laughs> lesbian line is that like a help? Was it like a like a? It's switchboard? like a switchboard. Yeah, like a switchboard, but okay. for lesbians. Okay, cool. What kind of phone calls did you have coming in there? Oh crumbs! Um, well, we would get some that were pretty straightforward. Just about um, I'm coming to London for the weekend. What clubs can I go to? That kind of thing. There are others who were going through relationship angst, mm-hmm. either ending a relationship. Um, or married women who were in love with the woman next door. That was really, really common. Mm. Um, so a, a lot of anxiety there. And often they were the only gay in the village. Um, I mean, there was one, one young woman who used to ring and we had our fans. They would ask for a particular worker a particular volunteer and this young woman always used to ask for me and we were talking about what life was like for her and she was in the village can't remember where but she was in the village and I said to her well, what's, what's the scene like there <laughs> and she said well, it's not so much a scene it's more of a rotor <laughs> a rotor a rotor why well because there were like five lesbians in the village and I think they all Swapped over partners. Oh, I see. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And we also used to get a lot of young women ring up saying, I think I'm a lesbian. Um, I don't know what to do about it. Or I feel terrible about it. And sometimes we've got suicidal calls as well. Mm. Often to do with coming out. Uh, sometimes to do with ending relationship. Uh, yeah, I mean, all sorts, really. And we got, occasionally we got men ring up. And we always treated every call as if it were genuine. Right. Like, even when you get 13 schoolgirls in the call box, in the phone box, all giggling, mm-hmm. you always thought, well, maybe one of them yeah. is, is genuine and actually mm-hmm. wants to find out. Um so every call was treated as genuine, including the ones, sorry, the ones from men. It was only when, and you know, you, you thought, well, maybe it's a trans person who's exploring their sexuality. It was only when they started getting really suggestive oh, yeah. <laughs> that you thought, hang on, there's something not right here. Um, and that's when you would say, look, I'm not happy with the way this call is going. I'm going to hang up now. Right. Oh, but but uh, is your pussy wet? Oh, <laughs> just quickly before you go, go away! <laughs> just before you go. Uh... <laughs> yes. So there was all that to put up with as well. Um... <laughs> oh, we got all sorts. <laughs> I bet. I bet. It must have been weird. Like for me now, I like living in London. It's easy yeah. to like forget that. Um, yeah. But there are, like, people in, like, different cities that, like, it's hard to come out in. It must have been weird then, living in London, and, like, having a constant reminder of how difficult it is to be gay elsewhere. Yeah. It was just, I don't know, it's just... Liberating for me, yeah. personally. Uh, it made me very glad that I'd come to London. Mm. Um, I mean, joining the lesbian line for me was, for my benefit, really. Because I'd come to London... Um, I think I knew anyone in London apart from the lover that I was with then. And we weren't living together. We had been living together, but we went to separate places. 
broke up soon after. Right. So the only people I knew in London were her, and that was dodgy, my sister Debbie, who I was close to, and the rest of my family. <sighs> Wanted to make friends. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I, I thought lesbian line is the answer, I will make friends there. Um, it would give me something to do in the evenings, because mm -hmm. I had, I was living on my own for the first time mm -hmm. ever. Um, so yeah, I, I joined Lesbian Line. <laughs> um, yeah, and I did make a lot of friends. I, I had a lot of fun. I really enjoyed taking the phone calls. I really enjoyed doing the shifts. Um, however, there's always a however. It was, it was like a dating scene as well. Yeah. Um, I mean, there was one meeting. We had fortnightly meetings. And there was one meeting when every woman in the room was having an affair with another woman in the room. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Fortunately, those relationships that had broken up previously all seemed to be quite um, civilised with each other. Right, so, okay. That's it, good, it's quite adult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of <laughs> worked all right. But, yeah, it, it was um, a bit of a knock and shot, really. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, we were doing a bloody good job. Yes. Um, and a job that needed to be done as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. uh, and and for me, it was kind of intro into the London scene, or you know, to really sort of become part of it. And I did. I mean, I was for a while. I was out every night, um, either doing lesbian line shifts or um, that we had the social. Once a month, I think, um, and I would go and be part of the social in, in order to welcome women callers, right? Into oh god, what's the name of that pub? Can't remember. But there was a pub just across the road from our offices where we used to gather. Uh, no, was it in like where was it in King's Cross? Is it no? You said King's Road. Was it, no, it was in um, in um, King's Cross. Oh, okay, it's not the Bell, is it? Yes. Okay. Thank you. It's okay. I've heard a lot about the bell. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a bell. So once a month we would take it over and uh, tell women about it and they would come and socialise. And of course there would be a group of us lesbian liners there to, to welcome them and chat to them and be nice to them. Um, so I was doing that as well. Uh, a lot of volunteering. That sounds like such an amazing night. Like, if you don't know many people you can just go there and like you can go there like by yourself and be able to meet up with people yeah. and socialize you're basically saying like i'm lonely yeah and it must take so much confidence to be able to do that yeah yeah or wait until someone else was coming in and sort of going in their wake um yeah because yeah, yeah you're right i mean the the unspoken stuff is i'm lonely mm -hmm. and i'm a lonely lesbian yeah as well Mm -hmm. um, I like to walk in somewhere and be like, I'd like a friend. Yeah. It's just... Yeah, there are groups around. Um, I mean, in my day, there were quite a lot of them. Well, in my day, no. In the 70s, I guess, I'm talking. There was Sappho. There were, have you heard of Sappho? No. no. That, that was a, a, like a social group, really. Okay, cool. For, obviously for lesbians. Yeah. Um, there was... Another one, oh god, what were they called? Kenrick. Okay. 
Cambridge stood for Kensington and something, something, something. Kenrick, at that time, if you were married, you had to have a letter from your husband giving his agreement to you coming to this lesbian group. What? what? How? Like, how would that benefit the group? Why would the husband do it? I don't know. I think it was to cover their backs or something, it, like legally. I think that's what it was probably about. That's mad that I had to do that. Yeah, so... Um, that Kenrick is still around. Oh, okay. But they've done away with that rule now. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> I hope that was done away with a long time ago. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think so. How was it working with people with HIV and AIDS? Was there any, like, hope that things would work out in a positive way? Because I imagine that living... I don't know, like, going through that, it's just like... Like, there's a point where people didn't know... Yeah. What it came from, the ninth and about it. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. In 1985, we were still talking, to, oh, God knows, sharing a cup or a cigarette or something. Um, no, there was no hope. Mm -hmm. um, it must have been hard to work somewhere and work towards something and just to expect everybody to die. Yeah. It, it, it was. It was very, very hard. Um, I mean, people did die very quickly. And, of course, they were all young. And it felt like you were seeing the whole generation die, like pack of cards one after the other. And that was hard because what I realised quite quite quickly is that you cannot... I mean, I was working very closely with a lot of these guys. What I realised very quickly is that you can't let everyone through your barriers because you would just fall apart. You would be no use to anybody. Having said that, there was always the odd one or two who slipped through the barrier and touched me in some way, touched my heart. Um, and so, you know, you find yourself grieving constantly. And because you know what's going to happen, you have preparatory, <laughs> preparatory grieving. You know, you, you, you know they're going to die, you're waiting for them to die. Um, and that was awful. That was awful too, just, just the waiting. Um, the only bright spark on the horizon, and you've got to have a bright spark somewhere in all that, was working towards changing attitudes. And that's what I did with a vengeance. Oh my God. I'd never done public speaking in my life. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was so nervous. And I found myself talking to groups of 500 with a microphone. I never used a microphone. <laughs> I didn't know how to use a microphone. Um, I couldn't use PowerPoint. I don't think we had PowerPoint then. Um, it was all done with a whiteboard and flip chart and mm -hmm. like that. And it was terrifying for me. By heck, I went out there and did it. Um, and I, I remember one occasion when I was talking to a small group of young people um, who were homeless, they were in the hostel. And I went through my spiel talking about, I mean, you, you try and um, make it accessible. Uh, you don't use talk about T-cells or stuff like that. You, you, you make it as simple as you can. I got to the end and I said, okay, any questions? And one girl put her hand up and said, please, miss, what is sperm? <laughs> <laughs> so then I had to go through it all over again. 
<laughs> using words that they understood. Uh-huh. Spunk. Whatever. <laughs> and then they understood. But it taught me a lesson. Yeah. Really valuable lesson is that you've got to use language that people understand, even when it's like, (laughs) 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 but you know, yeah, I had to do it, and that was I kind of it was kind of wonderful in in a way. Eventually, when attitudes did start changing, to actually be a part of that in the vanguard of that was a wonderful feeling. Yeah. So that balanced the death okay. and the illness mm-hmm. and disfigurement. So, yeah. And when did when did that start happening? When when did you start seeing a bit of a, a bit of light at the end of the tunnel? Oh, now you're asking. And like did it all just late eighties, right. early nineties. Mm-hmm. And did it just happen all of a sudden? No. Oh, no. No, 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 no. There was a lot of um, there was a lot of education going on. A lot of well, we had that big campaign, um, "Don't die of ignorance." Mm-hmm. That one. I I never know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. I mean, certainly it woke people up. Mm. Um, but I, I don't know if it increased their fear. No, it was a very slow process. You had to educate people that it's okay to share a cigarette or a cup. Um, this is the way that AIDS is transmitted. This is what you have to be careful of. You have to wear a condom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, it was a very, very slow process. And even now, I think there's a lot of fear around. Princess Diana, she was the one who changed it a lot. When she shook hands, with that man with AIDS, it was like the world went, oh, wow. Yeah. It, she she was really instrumental in changing attitudes. God bless her. Yeah. Yeah. A great loss to the community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I just, it just must have been such a mad time to live through and so, like, up and down and, oh, I don't know, and to be in the centre of things as well. It was hard. Yeah, I bet it was, it was so hard. difficult. Yeah, it was hard. I mean, for me, <coughs> professionally and personally, it was a life changer. Um, I can't begin to tell you how important that time was to me. Um, I, and it was kind of, how can I explain this? Well, I say it was the best of times and the worst of times. Um, because, it, you know, you felt you were in the vanguard of something important. But at the same time, you were seeing your friends die and become very, very ill before they died. Mm-hmm. And, and also seeing the public's attitude, professional's attitude to them when they were very ill. Mm-hmm. That was hard. I can't even comprehend the, like, the scale and the loss that people yeah. must have felt in a whole community, like seeing people... Yeah. Like going out or like going to clubs, like say if you went like every Saturday or something like that, and then just seeing people just disappear and then never coming back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's what it was like that, you know, oh, I haven't seen so-and-so for a long time. How is he? Oh, you know, he died. Yeah. So, yeah, that was it's like... so really unnatural. Common. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and like I said, they were all so young. Mm-hmm. 
in their 30s at the, you know, upper end. Yeah. So that, that it was hard. And also seeing how people change physically, that they became so thin, all eyes and teeth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people who had been stunning uh, became less so, shall we say. Mm -hmm. Carposis sarcoma, that was so disfiguring for people, especially on their face. What is that? It's uh, skin cancer. Oh, okay. Um, and if people got it on their body, that was one thing. But if they got it on their face, of course, it's very disfiguring. Great big purple blotches. Um, that was awful for them. Yeah. Especially for a gay man who, you know, there's so much um, emphasis on youth culture and beauty culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very, very hard for them. Yeah, I, cannot, I can't even imagine to feel like it was just like... I mean, today's generation of gay men, I, I'm not religious at all, but I pray to God, if I had a God, that they're taking note and, and we won't go there again. Mm -hmm. I really, really hope. Um, and others as well. I mean, I, I, later on, <coughs> when I left Terence Higgins Trust, I went to work um, with local authorities with HIV and AIDS. And then I was working with a lot of African, particularly African women. For some reason, African men aren't coming forward for treatment. Um, so I worked with a lot of African women, and their stories were pretty horrendous as well. So, yeah, I've been through the mill there. Given the choice, would you choose to be straight? No. <laughs> it's a short answer. Mm -hmm. No, 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 no. Um, I mean, I'm not in a relationship now. I haven't been in a relationship for a long time. And although I don't miss these days, I mean, I'm 70 now, so I don't miss the sexual side of things. Well, occasionally. <laughs> On the whole, not. Um, I do miss that kind of intimacy, that emotional connection mm -hmm. with a woman. And I just cannot, I'm sorry, but I cannot imagine having that with a man. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So the answer is no. Given the choice, would you swap being um, sort of in your 20s and gay when you were in your 20s? For being gay and in your 20s today, would would you swap that, given the experiences that you went through? <laughs> oh dear. Some, however, some of it was difficult and painful and I wouldn't have it live it again for the world. So in a lot of ways, I'm, I'm happy now, happier mm -hmm. now than I've ever been. Mm -hmm. Are there any aspects of the gay life now for younger people that you would have liked back then? Like, yeah. like what sort of thing? Their freedom, their, yeah. their, their, how, how liberated they can be, how open they can be. Um, how they can <laughs> shout from the rooftops um, and, get, and, and hopefully touch wood I think all for what happened to them mm -hmm. um, and that they would still have the support of their friends, their parents, their colleagues I really like the way and I'm still astonished at the way that things have progressed relatively quickly mm -hmm. so that young lesbian and gay people today have that openness yeah um yeah but it's because of people like you though 
Yeah, isn't it? It is, mm. actually. <laughs> well, yeah, and I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud to have been part of that um, that movement, that mm. activism, yeah. that, that made it so. And it's easy to forget that, actually. But yeah, it is part of people like me and Colin that you guys can be happy in your sexuality and be open and free. Yeah, well, thank you very much for that. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> and you know, you said that you you'd be able to stand at the top of a uh, on a rooftop and shout that I'm gay, but you did stand on top of a bus throwing condoms at. <laughs> so I did. I think a compromise is reached there. Certainly. <laughs> um, is there anything that you'd say to younger um, queer people today? Uh, follow your heart, I guess. Don't be afraid. Use the support systems you've got. Go for it. Janet and I have kept in touch since our conversation and she's been really supportive of the podcast. It was great to chat to her and hear all about her life. If you want to find out more about her, check out her book, A Rebel Without a Clue, by Janet Green. She's alive and she's fought a lot for gay rights. And it's a shame that she doesn't feel comfortable going to different marches and protests as well as Pride, as it seems that she's really eager to get involved but doesn't feel like she can anymore. Apart from that, her life seems really fulfilled and from following her on Facebook, she's always busy. I had the feeling while I was talking to her that she and I would have been really close friends had we been born in the same generation. She seems like she's had quite a few good parties in her time. Thank you so much for listening and if you enjoyed, please subscribe rate and review this podcast and follow us on instagram at queer margins where you'll find photos of janet when she was a young woman as well as a lot more thank you